Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, you're great. We believe that you're great. And, and at times when we doubt it, God, we're reminded of what you did on the cross for us. We look around and see the power of all of your creation. We, we see the power of your grace that you've been patient with us and we fail all the time. God, you're great. God, I pray as we continue to look at the word, I'm praying you would work in our hearts that we'd be in awe of who you are. God, I'm asking that you would work in our hearts, that we'd be stirred, that we would hear exactly what you would say to us through your word. God, I ask you to help me to teach. I also pray you'd help my back not to freak out. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, I'm down here on the floor today, and I'm going to be sitting on this stool. Um, so thanks for being patient with me. Uh, if you hear a weird noise coming to the microphone, it's because everything in my back froze up. So just laugh, and we'll all feel better about it. Okay, does that sound fair? Okay, we're not going to answer questions, and that's okay. Listen, we're starting a new series today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, so you can turn your Bibles there as we're um, jumping into this. But, but this, new, this new series, um, I, I'm excited about, and I'm nervous about, and I, and I struggle with. Um, I, I think it's something that we all need. I know it's something that I need. I think it's something that we need as a church. And let me tell you the heart of what's going on in the background for me as I wrestle with this. Um, there's this thing for me um, that's happening in my heart. I, the reason I came here was um, not because I wanted to come back home to Tallahassee. I, I, I came here for the same reason I got into ministry to begin with, that there was this, this ache in my heart. Like this, this desire inside of me that I wanted to see God work in, in powerful ways. Like in, in ways that when I read the Bible, you know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't seem far and distant and removed. Like there's something strong about what he's doing. I, this desire for me to see him. I just wanted to see him work. I wanted to, and not work like, all right, I need the, the roof to split open and gold dust to sprinkle down. Not silly, crazy things like that. I'm talking about like the real gospel work where when we hear the word and we're together and throughout the week, God's doing this work in our heart that something starts to burn inside of us. You know what I'm talking about? Like this thing where we start to burn more and more and more to know him and to be with him, that, that we love worshiping him, that, that all the brokenness in our lives is being addressed by him and his power and his good news, that our lives are actually changed. Right, like it, that kind of ache. I, I don't have an ache to meet every week. Uh, I, that, that's not, that doesn't burn in my heart saying, you know what I would really love to spend my life doing? Getting together in a room once a week, singing a few songs and hearing a speech. That's, that is not why we gather every week. We, we gather every week because we want to see God work. Right? Like that's what we want. We want to see him work in our hearts, in the hearts of the people sitting next to us, in the hearts of the lives of every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee. The, the reason that we gather is because we, we want to be with God. We want to obey him. We want to love one another. We just want to see God work. And we, we're hungry for it in ourselves and for those around us. Like, like for real work. Like that, that's the ache that happens in me. Like when I start thinking about that, like when I think about God doing a work in our church and that we become 
it's, it's almost like you could actually taste it when you showed up. You know what I mean? Like if you were to show up off the streets and you'd never been here, like you would walk and it felt like you would encounter this type of acceptance and love that you didn't even know existed anywhere. Right? Like this thing, like that, that, was, that was crazy. When he talks about Jesus loving me, I feel like I understand a little bit better because of the way the people in that church welcomed me when I showed up. It wasn't weird and creepy and all like, hey, how you doing? Like it was, it was real and authentic and it was palatable. There was a real loving kindness and a welcome when I showed up. And this invitation to be in relationship, it, like the possibility to have real deep relationship with one another. Not not sit next to each other for meetings, but be with one another in deep relationship throughout the week. Like that, you ever feel the ache for that? Like when you read it in Acts, like I, this is what I want. I want what he says in here. To, to hear people singing and their, their hearts are just passionately on fire for Jesus, not because we've been whipped into an emotional frenzy, but because there's something actually happening in our hearts that when we see these truths about God, we can't help but sing and sing loudly and passionately. Some of the type of thing where what ends up happening is God's working in our lives in a way that your unsaved friends, your unsaved neighbors, your unsaved coworkers, your unsaved family members, like they start showing up here and God uses you to actually, I mean, picture this. I want you to picture your unsaved friends hearing the gospel from you. You're at coffee with them or they're at your house for dinner or you're at lunch, you're at the t-ball game while your kids are playing and you're talking in the bleachers and all of a sudden they get to hear the gospel from you and they get saved. Wouldn't it be awesome to see that happening? Wouldn't it be awesome if that was the normal experience for followers of Jesus in a church? That it's normal for us to have an unsafe friend and share the gospel with him and actually see God work in a way that's phenomenal or, or, or even, even more than that, not just unsaved people getting saved, but I want you to picture like the most brokenness imaginable in this city. I'm, not, I'm like the most broken, the, the neediest, the neediest spiritually. The, imagine the family, their marriage is on the rocks. There's affairs happening left and right. Like it is complete and utter dysfunction. And God breaking in and doing a work that that family is saved and changed. Imagine families that are racked with addiction, like major addiction. Like I'm talking about, you're like, I don't even know how to deal with that. And they show up and I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying there's something that's happening in the church that God's empowering us to actually reach people with the gospel and people wrapped up in addiction are, are radically changed and saved. Whatever, whatever brokenness you can imagine, that's who the gospel's for. When I think about the church, when I think about wanting to see God literally shake us to our core and work, I ask this question, uh, how do we get that? I mean, if you were in my position, just imagine with me for a moment that you got hired as the senior pastor at North Florida Baptist Church and you wanted to see God do an explosive work in the city and in this church what would you do? Just think about that. Half tempted to have you raise your hand, um, but I'm afraid of what you'll say. <laughs> um, I can guess what we would say. Um, if you've seen the slide up on the screen, you probably already know what the answer to that question is, right? Is, is prayer even up there? I, please don't make me turn. It'll hurt. All right, good. Thank you. Um, 
pray, right? Would anyone disagree that, that however it is he works, I'm not saying there's not practical things that we do, like kids ministry and student ministry and worship and groups. I'm not saying that. I'm saying however he works, what we know is that if it's going to be the real work of God, there probably should be something about prayer wrapped up in that, right? Right? Would anyone say, that's the dumbest, no, don't, I'm not even going to have you raise your hand. I doubt that any of you would say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Prayer ain't going to do a thing. I think most of us would say, yeah, listen, if, if you want to see God work, I, I'm pretty sure if you were in my spot, you don't need a seminary education, and you want to see that happen, you would say, we need to pray, Right? I think that if you want to see God work in your work, all the pressure you feel at work every single day, right? Do you feel pressure at work every day figuring out how do, I, how do I live this life in a way that represents Jesus? There's the constant pressure from your boss, pressure from your coworkers to do everything else but express Jesus. And you've got to figure out how to be a light in that area. If you want to figure out how to do that, I can give you whatever trips, tips and tricks you want. But ultimately, you need God to show up and work. And I think prayer is going to be part of that conversation. If, if you're suffering, and I'm talking like the type of suffering you, you never expected to happen, and you feel yourself in those moments where it just feels dark and heavy, and you feel raw and broken, you feel needy, listen, prayer becomes one of those things where you have no other option but to cry out and groan and say, I just need... I don't know what I need. I just need you to do something because this is awful. Listen, we, when we talk about prayer, man, church, if there's one thing we should be figuring out, it's this, right? And, and to be honest, I think some of us might, would anyone feel skeptical about that? Would you be willing to honestly be honest and say, I feel a little skeptical about, yeah, okay, so we're just going to have a prayer meeting and everything starts changing in Tallahassee. Uh, I'll be honest, I have some of that skepticism. You want me to tell you why? Because I've been to one too many church prayer meetings. Now, we talk about prayer, we we read these books about prayer, we hear these stories about prayer, but then when we actually go to do it, something's off. Something feels weak, fake, make-believe. Uh, here's why I can confidently say that. It's my guess. I think all of us believe prayer is powerful. But I think if I said, let's do a prayer meeting Tuesday night at 7 p.m., there's three of us that are here. Right? Can we, can we be honest about that? We say it's powerful. We say it's essential. We say we need it. That's not, that's not to, I'm not trying to beat you down for that. I'm trying to say well, the reason we don't show up on a Tuesday at 6 or at 7 or whatever time we would do it that wouldn't be convenient, if all we did on Sunday morning is to say, you know what we're going to do? We're only going to pray for the next six weeks. If we think attendance is low now, wait till you see what it would do then. Be, because there would be this thing where we say, man, I know it's supposed to be powerful, but I don't ever see that. I don't think I've ever experienced that or tasted that. It feels like the exact opposite of that, where we would say a prayer is supposed to be important, but in reality, a prayer meeting is a waste of my time. Would y'all think that? Or am I the only one that thinks that darkly? 
Okay, y'all like, man, that dude's on some crazy pain medicine because he's saying, I never thought I would hear a a pastor say that a prayer meeting could feel like a waste of time. Here's what I'm saying. For as powerful as prayer is supposed to be, it sure seems really weak in the church. Why? I I don't know all the answers for that. Um, I'm not doing this sermon series to answer all of those questions. I'm doing this sermon series because Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and I think that there's something missing. And I don't know how to get all the pieces together to see God work in a powerful way, but I do know this, that when we look at him teaching about prayer, it can't hurt for us to spend eight to ten weeks figuring out what he says and see, just see, here's the goal, would he actually do a work in our personal private lives that prayer would start to change in us this summer? Could we see that? Is it possible that every man, woman, and child in this room could see growth in personal prayer this summer? Is it possible that we as a church could see something begin to shift whenever we gather together to pray? Is it possible that something could actually change? Listen, I know that God has to do a work for that to happen, but we're going to take some time to see what he says about prayer. There's a ton of paths we can go in, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. You can open up your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 6. And here's what's happening. Matthew chapter 6 is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has got thousands of people on this grassy hillside, uh, and he's, he's preaching a three-chapter sermon, uh, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. Um, it's probably one of the most famous sermons. It has tons of verses that you would be used to. And um, we're not going to jump right into prayer. He's, he's setting up something for prayer. He's laying out what it is that the heart or the foundation for prayer that we need. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 6 to us. He says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. I don't know who does that, but that is ludicrous. Ta-da, I'm giving. Like, anyways, don't do that. Don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen here, Jesus just finished chapter uh, five, laying out all these ways are supposed to live. All these righteous things are supposed to do. At the very beginning of chapter six, he gives this warning. He says, be careful. Watch out. Be careful. There's something that can happen in your heart when you're doing good works. Like, giving to the poor or like praying or like fasting. When you're doing good things, there's a danger in your heart. And the danger in your heart that he gives there right there in verse 1 is that there's this shift. What does he say in chapter 6, verse 1? Of practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He, he says this, be careful. And if, you're, if you read it too quickly, you'll think he says this, be careful of doing anything in front of people. In other words, all your giving should be secret, all your praying should be secret, all the good things that you do should be secret. And if you read that, that might be part of what he's saying, but there's a bigger point that he's making there. Because if, if that was the case, we would never pray in public. We would, we shouldn't, I should not have prayed as I got up to start this, the church service. I should not have prayed as I started my sermon. We should never pray together. We should all pray quietly, individually, away from everyone else. That's how it should look. But that's not what they did in Acts. In Acts, we see them getting together all the time to pray. It, it's not a command to not pray together or out loud in front of people. It's, it's a deeper command than that. His warning is not that you would pray in public. He's, his warning is that you would pray in order to be seen by other people. In other words, it's not a warning about praying in public. It's a warning about wanting to be seen by other people. That the motivation of the heart of these hypocrites was not, hey, I want to pray or do something good. The motivation was, I want you to see me do something good. I want you to see me give. I want you to hear me pray. And what's the reward for me? The reward for me is that you would think something good about me. The, the warning is that your heart all of a sudden, as you're doing these good things, it's really easy to shift into this, this pattern, if you're not careful, that what you want, the thing you're seeking, the treasure of your heart is prestige from other people. And you're like, man, who would pray and do that? The answer, pastors would pray and do that. Right? Like, have you ever been praying in a group and felt the nervousness as you're going around the circle and y'all are praying out loud? And all of a sudden there's that thing, someone prays something out loud and they, they take the line that you were going to say. Can't say that again. You don't want to be last, especially if there's like five or six people, because, bro, they're going to pray for everything and you got nothing left. You're like, well, I agree with them. Amen. Right? That, that nervousness of, okay, I need to think through what I'm saying here because I don't want them to think a certain way about me. Yeah, y'all felt that, right? Listen, we felt, you know how I know you felt that? Because I felt that. <laughs> I, it's awful. It's awful. It's an awful way to live. It's totally backwards from Jesus' plan in prayer. Now, what ends up happening is we're trying to do the right thing and pray, pray, and the sinfulness of our heart creeps in and makes it about what you think about me instead of about us talking to God. And if you've been in church a while, you got a couple doozies in the pocket. Like you got a couple, like, I got this phrase, bam, like, ooh, that was a good prayer. I'm going to say that in the Rolodex of prayers for the next time I'm in a group praying. If you've been to Christian school or Christian college or seminary, man, we work really hard at making sure you've got a couple doozies in the chamber for prayer. And there's something totally backwards about that. that. Somehow we accidentally can let the sinfulness of our heart run wild when it comes to praying out loud. And the more you've been in church and the more roles of leadership you have, the more difficult it becomes. Y'all see how that can happen, right? Like when you're new at church and you pray out loud, if the stranger next to you thinks you're an idiot, I mean, I, whatever, right? But dude, if you've been at a church for like 15, 20, 30, 50 years, and now you've got roles like Sunday school teacher, deacon, 
chief usher, whatever it is, right? Like all of a sudden your, your pride, your, your influence, your reputation becomes a big deal, probably bigger than it should be. Like we we got to be real careful. We, we could do it in other ways. It would be real easy as we've drawn a circle around making community and say, we want to reach that community for Jesus. We're going down there trying to do things for them. It'd be real easy all of a sudden that the win for us becomes what they think about you and me, not what they think about Jesus. And now what ends up happening is we're doing good works and trying to do this stuff for people in our neighborhood, we become more focused about what you think about me than what about you think about Jesus, and it becomes all about us. Even our acts of mercy and kindness can become self-centered, self-seeking. I mean, it feeds us in really weird ways, right? Like, it's not like you go and do something and it's bad for you to feel good about doing a good work. Not not. Not that it's bad for you to celebrate. Man, I saw Jesus work. That was amazing. Man, he got to use me. Or, hey, they all hated everything that I said as I went to those neighbors. They hated it. I'm suffering for Jesus. That shift can turn on a dime real quickly. And Jesus says, be careful because your heart will creep in there and do really bad things. And it will wreck you. It will actually turn you into a hypocrite. It actually says something worse. It says... You'll get your reward. You just got it. Like, listen, he says, if, if the reward or the treasure or the prize that you want is people thinking a certain way about you, you can get that, and you can get it tomorrow. But you'll miss a better reward. There, there's something that God sees that no one else can see that looks deep into our heart, that sees why we're doing what we're doing, even when we don't fully understand it. And listen, if we're not careful, we'll forfeit the reward from God for the forfeit of for the reward of what the people next to you think. Or, or maybe it looks different. Maybe, maybe wanting wanting other people to think highly about you isn't isn't causing you to do things out in public. As I was meditating on this, I was like, is that the only way we seek the reward of what you think about me? That what we do is I want you to think about me, so I'm going to get up in front of everybody and be real audacious. Look at how much I gave. Look at how much I serve. Look at how well I pray. Look at this theology that I know. Look at how many classes I teach. There's another way that motivation to be thought of highly can, can move you. You know what that is? Hiddenness. What will end up happening for you if your treasure, if the prize of your heart is what the people around you think of you, then what ends up happening for you is that you will make sure that all the things that don't line up are never seen by anybody. You will never let yourself get up in front of people and pray out loud. Not because... Not because um, for the reason of you don't want them to think less of you. Does that make sense? You'll, you'll never engage in deep community in the church. You'll be hidden. You'll never reveal yourself. You'll never stick yourself out there trying to get someone to go out and hang out. You'll never have deep community because you'll be too afraid that they'll see who you are and see what you're like, and it'll ruin the image they have of you. 
It's why one of the hardest things for church people to do is open up their home and let other people show up to their house for dinner. Does that, does that freak you out right now? If, if I gave the assignment, go home and pray for an hour, some of you would be like, okay, that feels pretty hard. Make it 10 minutes, you got a deal. But if I said this week, I want you to find someone and have them to your house for dinner, you freaking out on the inside a little bit? What if they see my messy house? What if they see how my kids behave? What if my house isn't as nice as theirs? What if my house is too nice? What if they don't like my food? What if I say something stupid? Have you you ever felt that fear? Yes, I got a couple hands. Y'all are growing in this. I'm so proud of you. All right? Um, Listen, sometimes the fear, the, the treasure of other people thinking highly of you doesn't send you to do outlandish, audacious, visible things. Sometimes it leads you to be hidden. You're present because not being present is worse, right? Like, I don't want them thinking I'm not a church attender. Like, oh, good grief. What kind of pagan do you think I am? I want to be here all the time. No, no, it's not about attendance. It's I'm present, but I'm hidden. I serve, but listen, you're not going to get inside here. You're never going to see me struggle. You're not, no, that doesn't happen. You're not coming to my house. We're not hanging out. And I'm definitely not sharing things that are hard for me. I show up, the veneer is on, it's pristine, it's good, I'm respectable, and then I am out. Because I can't keep that veneer up all the time. You know that if you've got kids, right? Your kids will rip a veneer off in a heartbeat like a Band-Aid. And they'll give you no saying it whatsoever. Take them grocery shopping. They've been perfect angels all day long. And you go to the grocery store and your veneer is a good, godly parent as a pastor of North Florida Baptist Church. My kids don't care about that. They want the chocolate candy. And for some reason, this one time that the cashier is someone from North Florida, my kids are going to have a meltdown in the line. Right? You think your teenager cares about your veneer? Man, they might... Listen, they're coming after that thing vocally and pointedly. You want a veneer, don't have kids. It ain't working. As a matter of fact, don't get married. (laughs) Just be totally by yourself and you will look perfect. You'll even believe it. But when life has to rub next to people, when you've got to get together and deal with a spouse day in and day out, the veneer kind of gets chips in it. When your kids are who they are and they see you for who you are, the veneer isn't all it's cracked up to be, is it? And listen, you want a veneer, don't get older, right? Like, is it easy when you're going through health issues and struggling? It's really hard when all the wheels come off and you're in the hospital to have a really good veneer. You don't care about the veneer in the hospital. You just want someone to come and visit you and pray for you, right? Am I right? The veneer goes bye-bye as your health starts to deteriorate. 
It's hard to be dignified when your back is freaking out. It's hard to be dignified and have a veneer when you're laying on a hospital bed. It's hard to have a veneer of authenticity and care what other people think when you're going through cancer or the loss of a loved one or your marriage is crumbling. Listen, church, if you spend your life trying to have a veneer, it's going to be shallow, and I promise you, that treasure that you want, you can have, but it'll be gone just like that. It's a bad treasure. It's a really bad reward. But there's a better one. Let me show it to you. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you know, we just read verses 1 through 6. In verses 7 through like 15, he goes to the Lord's Prayer, which is what we'll be spending time in in the next couple weeks. But look at what he does after the Lord's Prayer. Verse 16. It's still the same train of thought. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. See the same theme here? They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Like they fast and they're all like, oh man, it's so hard not to eat. It's hard. Why am I so hungry? It's because I love you, God. Can't go to lunch with you because fasting is hard. You look weak, Fias. What's kind of going on? You seem just, I'm fasting. Makes me feel, it's been days since I had really good barbecue. Fasting. Says they do it to be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen, he's been saying it in, chap- in verses 1 through 6. He said, listen, if you're going to do good deeds and give to the poor, don't do it to be seen. If you're going to pray, don't do it to be seen. Then he talks about how to pray. He says, if you're going to fast, don't do it to be seen. But what do I do it for? Look at verse 19. I think this is important because it's connected to this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Listen, I know we think sometimes, listen, don't make your treasure your clothes and your house. Also, don't make your treasure what other people think of you. That's the point. Don't make the treasure, the thing that your heart longs for, don't make it something temporal and quick and easy. Listen, do this, verse 20. This is the treasure but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, things that can't be taken away, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It, the teaching that Jesus is saying about all good deeds, including prayer, is, listen, the goal of prayer, the foundation of prayer is not to be seen by other people or any other shallow temporary, weak treasure. There's a bigger treasure, a treasure in heaven that can't be taken away. And I'm asking myself the question, well, what is that treasure? Well, if you're asking that, let me show you what I think it is. Open, if you flip in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Well, what is this eternal reward? What is that treasure that's supposed to make my heart beat fast? What, what is the motivation of my heart supposed to be? I don't think it's complete indifference. He, he doesn't say seek no treasure. He says seek the reward from the Father. And what is that? Philippians 3, verses 7 through 10, Paul says this. I love that this is an awesome passage. But whatever gain I had, whatever treasure I had, whatever prestige I had, whatever... 
opinion, like whatever treasure I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, because of the amazing treasure of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've counted I just lost my place. That's really awkward. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, you see what he says the treasure is? For Paul, all these shallow, cheap treasures were temporary. They were gone. But the ones that lasted, and the one that lasted was knowing Jesus, being with Jesus, experiencing Jesus, For Paul, the treasure always and forever that could never be taken away was knowing and enjoying the person and work of Jesus Christ. That might sound too much. Here's what what I mean by that. It means when we pray, we're not just praying for shallow, temporary things. We're praying because we want Jesus. You you see what I'm saying there? Do you see what his, his treasure is? His treasure is not what the people next to him think. His treasure is getting to experience and know and walk with Jesus. And that can't be taken away. And it's way better than what the people next to you think. It's really easy to get distracted from that, isn't it? Like it all sounds theoretical. Like how do I treasure Jesus in my day-to-day life? Like that's great coming from a pastor. But listen, I'm going to work tomorrow. Like how do I treasure Jesus there? Because there's a grind, right, in life. There's a grind in the neighborhood that all this type of like theoretical talk doesn't help me. How do I actually treasure him when I, when I walk into those doors? Well, listen, I think it's going to take some prayer. <laughs> that I walk in and I'm, before I go into work, I'm saying, Jesus, I, I'm going to be focused on spreadsheets and meetings or whatever I've got today. Would you help me find a way to treasure you today as I'm in here? Like you, you walk into those front doors and you're saying, Jesus, I don't know what the people next to me need. I, I'm going to do my work for your name and your fame, but if, if you steer me off of it and one of my coworkers needs something, I want you to give me wisdom about how to talk to that person and wisdom when to shut up. And you're, you're literally all day long in the spreadsheets, you're bringing yourself back to, I want to know Jesus and I want to make him known. Over and over and over again. It, it looks like either when you get home before you get up in, or when you get up in the morning, you're spending time in the Word saying, I, just want, I want to find you and I want to know you and I want to think about you and enjoy you as much as I can while I do my job today. It's not just meeting Jesus for five minutes in the morning, reading our daily bread, and then gone. You're just gone all day long. Listen, you can't do that. You're going to have to keep checking in over and over and over again because our hearts are fickle, Right? It's going to be a repeated effort. It's going to be that moment that you get home from work and you snap at your kids because they did something and you got to stop and repent and say, Jesus, I want to pursue you and not be this angry at my kids. Your heart just won't stay tuned. You have to keep checking in over and over and over again. And when that's your prayer, when the foundation for prayer for you is knowing Jesus, I think it's going to change the way we pray. I I pray we don't chase after lesser things. And we really can chase after lesser things. Listen, for some of you, you may be sitting here and saying, um, 
man, I, as you're saying that, my heart, I, that's what I want. I want to know Jesus. Listen, I want to encourage you. If that's what's happening in your heart, listen, I want you to throw as much gas on that fire as possible. That's the work of Jesus in you that makes you want to know him. For the others of you, you're sitting there saying, man, I don't, the only thing that stands out is that I don't want that. Like there's this apathy in me, right? Like you talk about knowing Jesus, like really knowing him, and I'm like, eh, eh, guess that sounds great. Listen, can I remind you of the good news? The good news is this, that Jesus saw our apathy and he went to the cross and he died for that. He died for the fickleness of my heart, for the distraction of my heart, for the parts of my heart that want other things like what people think of me. He died for that and he forgives us for that. And not only that, but he came back to life three days later. He says, if you put your trust in me, I'm going to give you a brand new heart. I'm going to make you a son or a daughter and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means. That means if you placed your trust in Jesus, he's put all the power you need to kill that apathetic heart and give you life. It's there. If you feel apathetic, I want you to know that Jesus is strong enough to change your apathy to passion. If you feel exhausted, listen, he's, he says, come to me if you're, if you're laboring and heavily and I will give you rest. He, he says all these things. He wants to meet us where we're at. He's not expecting us to kill it all the time, but he is enabling us. He's enabling us to actually pursue him. Listen, on your own, you cannot do this. But if God can bring Jesus back from the dead, if he can forgive us of our sin, then listen, he can give you a heart that beats fast for him. If your heart, heart's not beating fast, I'm gonna tell you, would you just run to him and pray and ask? God, forgive me for being fickle. And would you work in my heart? If your kids or your family members or your friends' hearts, they could care less about God. Don't just pray for yourself. Maybe the thing that's going on in your heart right now is you love Jesus, but you're concerned family members or neighbors or coworkers don't. Listen, would you ask Jesus to work in their heart? He'll do a better job than you will. Listen, that's what it looks like to pray for a kingdom that lasts forever. It's that heart foundation. Does that make sense? Church, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to walk us through a, a moment of response. Right then, your seat, I just kind of want you to ask Jesus what he would have you hear today. Did he, did he convict any of you of the sin of really pursuing a different treasure? Maybe you're pursuing what other people think of you. Maybe you're just pursuing stuff. Listen, if he convicted you of that, I just want to encourage you to ask him to forgive you. He's quick to show mercy. Maybe for you, that pursuit has looked like hiddenness. Listen, would you ask him to forgive you of being hidden because you don't want people to know what you're like and just run headlong into knowing Jesus and let the church be the church with you? Ask him to help. 
maybe here and um, the thing that God did in your heart is sometimes your heart burns for him, but most of the time it feels kind of meh. So would you ask him to fan that little spark into a flame? Like, like a, a flame that really burns for him. We're not talking about more attendance. We're not talking about more service. We're talking about more love, more pursuit of Jesus being your treasure. Maybe some of you here today, you've, you've been in church your whole life. You've heard about this, this merciful God. You may have even prayed a prayer at one point. When we talk about like actually knowing and loving Jesus, the thing that is clear to you today is, man, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't had a real gospel encounter with Jesus. I, I just want to share the good news with you. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for all of our sin. He came back to life three days later. That's what the Bible says. And he says this, listen, if you will if you repent of your sin and place your trust in me and ask me to save you, then I will. I'll forgive you and I'll clean you and I'll adopt you and I'll give you a new heart. I'll make you my own. He says he will do all the work. You don't have to do any of it. Our job is we just believe. His job is he does all the saving. He doesn't want you to, to do works. You don't earn this. It's a gift. Listen, if that's the thing that God is convicting you of this morning, so I just want to encourage you right there in your seat, ask him to save you and place your trust in him. In a moment, I'm going to guide us in a time of response. Here's what that looks like. We're going to stand and sing a song. We have pastors and decision counselors down front. If you want to speak with one of them, we, we would love to speak with you about whatever God's doing in your heart. If you just want to pray here at the steps or at the altar, you're more than welcome to do that. But whatever it is that God did in your heart, you can do it in your you can do business with him in your seat or up front here. Now's our time to respond to what he said. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on you. I pray as we sing this song of praise to you. God, I ask that you would help us to really worship you. And if, if you're working in hearts, God, I pray that all of us will be able to do whatever business with you we need to do, but give us tender hearts towards you. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.